Welcome to God Mode, living life undefeated. Join us each week as Pastor Chris delivers a message to encourage, challenge, and empower you to live life in God Mode. All messages can be listened to at www.godmode.life. Let's join today's message. Hey guys, welcome to God Mode. I'm so glad that you've chosen to tune in today. You know, I want to talk to you today about those people. Now, just for fun, whether you're wherever you're listening today, raise your hand if you think you might know who I'm talking about when I say those people. If you don't know who I'm talking about when I say those people, I'll tell you. Those people can be challenging. Those people are often critical. They can be controlling. They're often incredibly arrogant at times. Those people can be really, really mean. Those people, they know everything about everything, and they're going to tell everybody every chance they get. Who knows what I'm talking about now when I say those people? You'll see them shouting up a storm on social media. You'll see them spreading rumors at the office, and there's almost... Almost now, every time we have a family gathering, there's always one of them there. It's almost like a spiritual principle. You get all the relatives in there, and there's going to be one of those people in the house. And if you say that there's not one in your family, it's probably you. They're everywhere. And I want to talk to you about dealing with those people in a way that honors who they are and shows the love of God. You know, as followers of Jesus, we know that we're called to love. We're called to love everybody, and we're called to love those people. Admittedly, some of those people are a little more difficult to love today than ever before because there's so many complications in the world, and there's so much tension. And so if you find yourself, like I do, easily frustrated or often angry or even offended, I want to let the words of the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 26, speak into your heart today. We'll read through a long portion of scripture, then we'll come back and read verse by verse. This is what Paul said. Inspired by the Holy Spirit, he said this, In your anger, do not sin. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. And don't give the devil a foothold. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. You know, Scripture teaches us to be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ God forgave you. But let's start at the top and work our way through this text. The Word of God says this, In your anger, do not sin. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. And don't give the devil a foothold. This verse is power-packed, and it starts by saying, In your anger, do not sin. Which implies the fact that it must not be a sin to be angry, which is really good news if you find yourself angry. And chances are that you might. If you go out anywhere and interact with people today, if you go online and interact with people today, 
If you open up a news app and read the stories today, chances are somewhere, somehow, you will be offended, even today. And I try to remind myself over and over and over again that there is simply no win in being offended. There's no victory. There's no win. I have never found my life to become more joyful when I'm ticked off about what somebody said to me. My marriage has never gotten better when I'm angry at some injustice in this world. I've never gotten closer to God. I've never had more intimate conversations when I've walked around with this ongoing unforgiveness towards someone who hurt me in my life. And so I need to remember that there's no win in living offended. But I'm likely to be offended, so what do I do? Well, I tell myself this, that being offended is an evil, but living offended is a choice. Being offended is going to happen. I'll probably offend you. Someone else is going to offend you. But being offended is an edible, but living offended is a choice. It's going to happen, but you can still choose how you respond to an offense. And so that perhaps is one of the reasons why the Apostle Paul is telling us you got to be really, really careful. Because if you hold on to your anger, and if you're always nurturing an offense, And if you're rehearsing the hurts, what you're actually is doing is giving the devil, you're giving Satan, the father of lies and the prince of darkness, you're giving him what scripture calls a foothold in your life. You're giving him a foothold. You know, I did some research on the word foothold. I always thought a foothold kind of of like you're walking into a room and there was a door and you, you put your foot in the door, right? And that's the foothold. The door keeps open. Or I thought kind of like maybe rock climbing a foothold might be when you throw your foot up and you put it into a little crevice. It's like a little crevice. The word in the Greek is different. The word in the Greek is topos. And this word literally means a place or a room. In other words, if you go on and live in your anger, you're giving the devil a place in your heart. Or you're giving him room to work in your life. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to give the devil any access to anything that matters to me. I don't want my anger to be, or my offense, or my sense that that what's wrong in this world is to give the devil access or attack anything that's close to me. I don't want to give him access to my marriage, to Kathy. I don't want to give him to be able to attack the intimacy we have. I don't want to give the devil the ability to attack my children and come into their lives and maybe even divide us. I don't want to give the enemy the ability to attack my friends, the people that I do life with. If I live in anger and harbor bitterness and live easily offended, Scripture says you're giving your spiritual enemy access to your life. So I got thinking. Sometimes I try to figure out what our spiritual enemy might try to do to attack us. Because scripture says that the devil and the demons, they actually have schemes against you. And I started to think, what would I do if I were in a brainstorming meeting in hell? So I know it's kind of stupid, but let's just say we're in there with a bunch of demons and the assignment is to break the heart of God and hurt God's people. What would we try to do as the forces of darkness to break the heart of God and to hurt God's people? 
And so I came up with what I call the three D's of destruction. If I were a demon and trying to scheme against God, I would try to divide family, friends, and churches. I would try to bring division as much as I could into family, friends, and churches. And honestly, if I were a demon, it would be easier to do that today than ever before. All you got to do is get them talking about politics, or you got to throw in some racial division with people, with misunderstandings and very toxic opinions, and you might throw in there some vaccine stuff or some mass stuff and have a big misunderstanding before long. And if you did that, you could actually destroy friendships and you could have family members that stop talking to each other and you could ruin marriages and you could split churches. If I were a demon, I would try to divide Christians because when Christians are united, they're unstoppable. But when they're divided, they're weak and ineffective. I would try to divide the body of Christ. The second thing that I would do is I would distract Christians from their mission. I would try to distract them. I'd get them arguing about anything, just anything, anything in culture. I'd get them to boycott some businesses. I'd get them angry about some sin. I'd get them complaining about the latest Netflix series they all hate, and then other people don't hate it as much as they do. I'd get them complaining about other Christians or complaining about the horrible Netflix series that has all the bad stuff in them. And if I couldn't get the normal stuff that gets them distracted, I would just use like Instagram and and get them, you know, comparing with everybody else and arguing over senseless stuff and sending conspiracy videos to one another. I would try to distract Christians from their mission. And I would try to divide them. And finally, I'd try to discredit their witness. I'd try to discredit their witness. And this would be relatively easy to do. I'd get them focusing on what they're against. And I'd get them arguing about whatever they're mad about. And my goal would be to keep them angry, critical, judgmental, hypocritical, self-centered, self-righteous, easily offended, ticked at the entire world. That's what I would do. And I, when I look at that strategy, and when I look at what I see in the world, I think that the forces of darkness are actively using anger to discredit and weaken the body of Christ. If I were a demon, I'd try to divide, discredit, and distract. And we see that happening all the time. And it's not like it's out there somewhere, but we actually see it happening close to home right now. We see it happening in family members. We see it happening in the church and the body of Christ. And we see some of the people that should be the most loving people and being incredibly mean and harsh in ways that hurt so many people. And that's why part of this verse that I don't want you to miss at all, Ephesians 4.26 tells us this. It tells us not to let the sun go down while you're still angry. Don't let the day come to an end while you're still harboring an offense against someone. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. In other words, this verse implies that something powerful that that day of your hurt should also be the day of your healing. The same day that someone offends you 
should be the very same day that as a follower of Jesus, you're working to bring reconciliation into that relationship. You know what's interesting? And this is a side note. I don't know how this is possible, but those of you that are married, you know it's incredibly true. No one ever trains you in the rules of warfare. You don't learn it in a premarital class, but the moment you fight in bed, there are unwritten rules that you, you all know intuitively to live by. There are ways that you gain points and there are ways that you lose points. You gain points by being back-to-back. You have to be back-to-back. You gain a point by huffing. You gain a point by throwing your shoulder violently away from the other person. You gain an extra half point by bringing the covers with them, right? I mean, but you lose points if your feet drift into the enemy territory. You ain't touching my toe. You ain't touching the toe for the next rest of your life. You get no toe touching. And then you lose if you do something godly like talk first, right? I mean, these are the rules. How do we know them? I don't know. But you intuitively know that when you get married and you have this difference of opinion, these are some of the rules. How different do you think our friendships would be and our families would be and the body of Christ would be if that on the day that I offend you, I owned it and I apologized and said, would you please forgive me? Or the day you offended me, I had the grace as as I have been given so often forgiving, choose to forgive you. Or the day that we have a a misunderstanding or or an argument or a hurt that we both said, hey, let's just let that thing go. How different do you think the world would be today if on the same day of the hurt as followers of Jesus, we work toward the healing? Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry, because you don't want to give the devil access to divide, to distract, or discredit you from being who God is calling you to be. Let's read on in the scripture, verse 29. The word of God says this, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. I mean, how are you doing with that one? Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. No belittling, no bad-mouthing, no criticizing, no gossiping, no game-calling. I mean, neither of, you know, you can't even see call them a bunch of idiots. Don't let anything come out of your mouth except for what is helpful to build others up, to encourage, to be a blessing. I'll give you some rules to live by, and I'll give you six suggestions that I think might be helpful in your relationships not to let the wrong things come out of your mouth. The first thing is this. We're never going to call names. There's no reason, no excuse to be be dishonoring and take anybody down by calling names. Another suggestion would be never raise your voice. No one has ever been changed by someone who is yelling. People are changed when we're loving in our voice. And that sometimes is hard. I I get very passionate sometimes and my voice will raise. And I know that that has an effect just in my passion raising of my voice affects my wife. So I have to remember to keep my voice low. The next suggest is this, never get historical. Now I didn't say not hysterical, but historic. 
We're not going to go back in time and say, remember what you did back then, and you did this, and then you did that, right? So never call names, never raise your voice, and never get historical. And then never say never or always. Never do this. You always do that. I mean, that's not true. It's right. We never do everything, and we don't always do that. It's just not helpful. And for those of you that are married, I would suggest this. Never threaten divorce. That's not coming up. Never let it come up in your house. To summarize my helpful tips on relationship, I would summarize it this way. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only that which is helpful for building others up, speaking directly into their needs. Now, if you're like me, when you find yourself angry, I'm tempted to justify my anger. I'm tempted to defend it. And I would say this, well, they hurt me, so they're wrong, and I'm right. They betrayed me, so they're wrong, and I'm right. And I'd say my anger is a righteous anger. And I've used that word before, and you could probably argue that there's a time to be righteously angry, but let's just unpack it for a little bit and ask ourselves, do we want to stick with the metaphor of righteous anger for a moment? Is there any other destructive force? Because anger is a fire, anger is rage, anger is destructive. Is there any other destructive force in scripture that we'd like to call righteous? Think about other sins. Does, any, does anybody ever brag about their righteous greed? Oh, I've just got righteous greed. I just want more and more and more, all for myself. And it, it's a righteous greed that God gave me. They don't do that, right? Does anybody ever talk about, I'm just battling with righteous lust? I mean, it's a righteous lust. I mean, God made me this way, right? Somebody would do that. I mean, no, I hope not. But have you ever heard anybody talk about their righteous gluttony? I mean, I'm just going to eat the whole thing for the glory of God. It's a righteous gluttony. No. So do we want to justify our anger and try to say it's righteous if we do? And, and you can make that decision for yourself. Here's what we're supposed to do with all anger, even righteous anger. Verse 31 says this, get rid of all bitterness, get rid of all rage, get rid of all anger and brawling and slander. It's almost like Paul saying, God, I'm going to name everything I can just to get it through you. And if you're going to try giving me a loophole, then I'm going to fill in your loophole along with every other, right? If I left anything out, then he says, every other malice. I mean, I mean, it's just profound. And let me tell you what he doesn't say. You ready for what he doesn't say? If you're ready, come on, say it right where you're at, wherever you're listening, say, I'm ready. He doesn't say, be arrogant about your spiritual moral superiority. He doesn't say, be critical of everyone who thinks differently from you. He doesn't say, be harsh because you're dealing with idiots. <laughs> what he says is, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Can you let that sink in just for a moment? What are we to be? We're to get rid of anger and slander and malice. Instead, we should be kind and compassionate and forgiving. Question, where can you be kind and compassionate and forgiving? 
And the answer is, you actually have to be up close. It's almost impossible to be way far off and be kind. I'm being kind from you over here and over there. I'm having compassion for you. I feel you. I really, really do. I forgive you, but I don't want to be close to you. You actually have to be close in proximity. One of the challenges I see with the church at large today is it really easy to shout truth from a distance. And here's where you're, here's where you're wrong, and here's where I'm right. And I want to make a difference. It's easy to shout truth from a distance, but it takes time to love up close. It's incredibly ineffective to shout and to be angry from a distance. It's incredibly effective to be slow to speak, quick to listen, slow to become angry, to get into someone else's world, to understand their hurts, to understand their fears, to have compassion for a different way of thinking, instead of trying to be right all the time and forfeiting God's call to be loving. Are we not better than that? Get close. Listen. When's the last time you listened to someone who is incredibly different from you and loved them, even though they're incredibly different from you? Be kind and compassionate. It's easy, easy to hurl the truth from a distance. It takes time, it takes worth, and it takes effort to love somebody up close. So shake that off. I have a friend who is one of those people. Oh my gosh, he's one of those people. I mean, he's more than a friend, he's a family member. This guy, he's always right. I mean, about everything. He's right about everything. He's right about how the church should be done. He's right about theology is right. What all the other churches are doing, including me, are wrong. He knows how everybody should spend their money. They're all a bunch of idiots, except for him. He's right about how everybody should raise their kids. He knows what the government does wrong. He knows the truth about COVID, and his sources are all right. I mean, they're all right. He listens to the right doctors and the right politicians, and he is so right. Some of you say, we must have the same friends, right? You know him too. He's right about everything. Finally, I just told him one day, he's like, I'm so amazed I can't believe this. I get to be friends with you. Like out of almost 8 billion people in the world, you're the smartest guy that's ever lived. You're right about everything. And honest to goodness, you're like, are you, are you going to offend him? He's not even going to know I'm talking about him, even if he's listening to this. He'll listen to this and just smile and go, yeah, that other idiot. Because he has no idea he's one of those people. He is totally and completely one of those people. And he has no idea whatsoever. And then it dawned on me, what if I'm one of those people too? Because let's just be honest, like, I know a lot about a lot. I'm the guy in the mic telling you how to do your life. What if I'm one of those people? And what if you are too? Because I can guarantee you there's a little bit of self-righteousness in all of us. And that's why it's incredibly important to pray really dangerous, really humbling, and really God-honoring prayer. Found in Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24. I dare you to pray. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me, God, and know my anxious thoughts. And this is the part that really gets, gets to me. God, see if there's any offensive way in me 
and lead me in the way of everlasting. God, search my heart. God, show me where I'm arrogant. Show me where I'm judgmental. Show me where I'm self-deceived. God, show me where I'm harboring anger against a group of people or against an individual. God, show me where I'm carrying an offense. Show me where I'm not being kind, where I'm not being compassionate, and where I'm not being forgiving. And God, help me get rid of all anger and malice and slander. Be kind and compassionate because I don't want to give the devil any access to my heart, to my marriage, to my children, to my friends, or to my church. Because when you live in anger, you give the devil a place, a room, a foothold. And your spiritual enemy wants to divide, he wants to distract, and he wants to discredit, and he wants to destroy. And what I found is this, being offended is inevitable, but because of the grace and the goodness of God, living offended is a choice. And in the same way I have been forgiven, I want to choose to be more forgiving because I don't know about you, but my life has never been better when I've been angry. I've never made a big difference when, my, when I'm in my flesh, and I've never been more loving when I've been easily offended. And what I've noticed is this, that every single minute that I'm angry, I lose a minute of joy. And every single minute that I'm angry, I lose a minute of peace. And every single minute that I'm angry, I lose a minute where I could make a difference in the life of somebody else. And that's why I know being offended. It's inedible. It's, it, it's, it's going to happen. But living offended is a choice. And Scripture tells us this. Hey, if you do get angry, don't go to bed. Let's take it before God. Let's deal with it. Because we don't want to give the devil any room in our lives. And as followers of Jesus, we have a higher calling. We're not going to just shout truth from a distance but we're going to get up into the lives of people. We're going to hurt with them. We're going to work through some of the things with them. And you know, we're, we're going to do it. We're going to be kind and we're going to be compassionate to one another. And we're going to forgive others just as Jesus forgives us. And if we can do that, we can keep the devil out and we can keep the spirit in and we can make a difference. A divided world needs a united church. A dark world needs a church full of brightness. We're not going to let unwholesome talk come out of our mouths, but only that which is helpful for building others up. We're not here to make a point. We're here to make a difference. We make a difference with the love of Jesus. So today, Father, I pray that you would do a healing work in our hearts. And I know those people that drive us crazy, but I know there are times that we are those people. And so, God, we ask you to search our hearts today. If you're open, Holy Spirit, do a corrective work in our hearts. And I pray, Father, that you would change us and not allow these three Ds of destruction be in our, in our lives. And, Lord, we take away the devil's stronghold and foothold in our lives. In your precious name we pray. Amen. God bless you. I hope you'll come. I hope you weren't too offended today and will join us next week as we continue on in this series, No Offense. Thank you for listening to today's message. You can hear all of Pastor Chris's messages at www.godmode.life. Join us next week as we continue on in this series. 
please leave a review of this podcast at podchaser.com.